Welcome to the OKC Community Podcast. We are so glad you're here. To get the latest updates or to watch this week's message, visit our website at okccommunitychurch.com. Hi, everyone. Man, it's so good to be with you today. Those of you uh, online listening on the podcast later, what's up to you as well? We are so really thankful for the season we're in. This weekend, I was actually able to speak at a men's retreat at another church, and uh, it was fantastic. It was great. It was wonderful. All those things. But you know what I love the most is that I got to talk about all of you. I got to talk about this place. I got to talk about all the things that God is doing, and I get to boast in the Lord. You know what I mean? And it was so good. It was so good. I really enjoyed it. And, uh, but I did have one awkward moment. I had one awkward moment. I got off stage from speaking, and a younger guy, maybe 25 years old, he came up to meet me, and he said, the first thing he said to me is, oh, you're older than I thought you were. <laughs> he said, well, on stage, I thought you were, like, in your 30s. And I was like, okay, you're uglier than I thought you were. <laughs> no, I said, grace and peace, bro. Grace and peace, you know. God got to keep me humble. Are you all ready to go today? Come on, it's going to be a good day. Uh, we are in week six of Revival Hope. Everyone say Revival Hope. Revival. We are teaching through some of the epic stories of God's Word in the Old Testament that are really stories that I believe uh, of how God works and revives people. He revives people personally. He revives communally. And I think that's something important to know. It's like God pours out revival, meaning his, there's a pouring out of his spirit, an accelerated work of the spirit in our lives, supernatural works even beginning and accelerating personally, but also communally. He does it on his people as well. And so some of us have experienced it personally. Some of us have experienced it or seen it communally. And in the scriptures, you see it time and time again. You see personal revival. You see communal revival. You even see cities revived. And so that is why we are journeying through the scriptures. And today we're in Genesis. And this is a story of personal revival that leads eventually to the revival of a nation. It's, it's a long story that goes on for about eight chapters, uh, 12 pages in a medium-sized Bible, right? And some serious scrolling on your iPhone if you're going to read the whole story. And so I just thought I'd read the whole thing and we'd just, you know, read for the next 45 minutes and see how it goes. No, I'm just kidding. Keep, I'm going to read the key part of the story and then I'll summarize a whole bunch, actually. So the story does begin in Genesis 25, but we're going to jump ahead to Genesis 32, starting in verse 24. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. Everyone say wrestle. When the man saw, not wrestle, wrestle. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched his, the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched. And as he wrestled with the man, or as he wrestled with the man, then the man said, let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask me my name? Then he blessed him there, so Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, it's because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. So today I want to give you a message that we've titled Revived in the Wrestle. Revived in the Wrestle. And this is a story about a man who wrestled with God and survived. And I would actually go a step further and say that he was revived through this moment. 
Now, we, can talk, we can't talk about Jacob without talking a little bit about his story and his family. And his, uh, even it begins with his grandfather. His grandfather was a man named Abraham. Most of us know Abraham. And he made a covenant promise with God. Like God said, if you'll be my people, I'll be your God. So Abraham started this story uh, that we know, will eventually know as the Israelites. But, but Abraham had a son named Isaac who was the leader of that clan at the time known as the Hebrews. He was married to a woman named Rebekah. And they had two sons, twin boys, named Jacob and Esau. From the beginning, there was something different about God wanted to, what God wanted to do through Jacob. Even in the womb, Rebecca uh, was feeling some serious jostling and wrestling. So serious that Rebecca goes to God and prays, God, why does my stomach feel like a punching bag? Like she's like, what is going on? I mean, I remember during Christie's pregnancy, right? Like when the baby's getting larger, they start to kick. They start to jostle, right? How many moms know what I'm talking about? Like, yeah, yeah, they're going to be a soccer player, right? And then Christy would be sitting there and all of a sudden she'd be like, mm, eh, mm. and I'm like, okay, that's Grayson just did like a 360 like drop kick on her bladder. That's what just happened, right? So Rebecca's having like this UFC cage fight in her womb and God tells her something pretty remarkable. I don't have this on the screen, but this is what he says to her. He says, you have two nations in your womb. One nation will be stronger than the other. The older will serve the younger. Now, this statement is huge. It's actually massive. The older will serve the younger. Now, in that time, you guys can probably imagine, like, the oldest son inherited everything. The younger siblings, they got nothing. Everything served the older. But yet here's God saying the younger will serve the older. This statement is huge. This statement that there is two nations fighting inside of Rebecca, and I would say in a similar way, we all have two nations fighting inside of us. But catch this, the younger will rule the older. Meaning, the old kingdom, the old self, will be subdued by the new self. The new kingdom, the new person that we are in Christ is destined to rule over the old self ruled by sin. This is the gospel in a narrative literary form happening right here in Genesis about the things to come that God would do to bring about new things coming from the old ways. So God was bringing something new and he's saying the new will lead the old. So when Jacob and Esau are born, this struggle continues the struggle continues. The, rest, the wrestling has already ensued. And at their birth, Jacob is born, and he is the second of the twins. As you can imagine, he's the younger one. And when he comes out of the womb, he is holding on to his older brother's heel. If you can imagine this scene, don't imagine it too much, right? So Isaac, the father, decides to give him the name Jacob which the literal meaning of the name Jacob is the one who grabs. So you can imagine, like the one who grabs. It also means the one who steals, the one who tricks, the one who lies. That's what Jacob means. Any Jacobs in the room? Raise your hand, Jacob. Just so you know, it doesn't mean that anymore. I don't see, yeah, Jacob Wilson's in here somewhere. Um, it means the one who's cool now, cool man, right? Not a nice name, right? Right out of the womb, like, oh, the one who steals, Right? Not a creative name either. You imagine a moment? What should we call him? Look at him. 
He's grabbing Esau's heel. He's going to steal his birthright. Let's call him that. He's the one who grabs. Come here, you little trickster. I don't know. I mean, it's, I'm just imagining the moment. I'm like, not very creative, Isaac. Like, he's grabbing his heel, and you're like, that's his name. The one who grabs. Years go by, and Isaac becomes old, nearly blind. He knows his death is approaching, and he announces it's time for the official ceremony for him to pass on his blessing to his oldest son, Esau. So Esau, being the oldest son, would then become the leader of the family. So as you can imagine, this is the moment where everything gets passed on to the next generation. Isaac tells Esau, hey, I need you to go. I want to make this a big deal. Go hunting. Find some game. Make a big meal. We're going to celebrate. So let's mark this moment, Esau, with some like rabbit stew or something like that, right? So Esau leaves. And Rebecca, how many of you guys know, I mean, uh, so Rebecca has a favorite child, and, and Isaac has a favorite child, as most great parents do. Um, Re- Rebecca's favorite child is Jacob. Isaac's favorite child is Esau. I tell my children my favorite child is the dog. It's just got to be safe, right? But Rebecca overhears this conversation going on with Jacob and Esau, and she creates a plan with Jacob to deceive his father. She wants Jacob to receive the blessing that belongs to Esau because she remembered what God had said that the younger would rule over the older. The blessing belongs to Esau, of course. He's the oldest. But something keeps coming up in Jacob's story that has a lot to do with this name, the one who grabs, the one who steals. So Jacob enters Isaac's tent with a meal before Esau had returned, pretending to be Esau. Some of you know the story, but he's wearing Esau's clothes. He, he disguises himself as Esau. Esau was described as a hairy man. So he put like hair all over his arms and all over his hands. Apparently Esau was covered in like hair like a yak or something like that. And so he's, he's, he's covering himself with an animal fur. And at first when he comes in, uh, Isaac, who's nearly blind, is like, he hears his voice and he says, no, 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 that's Jacob. He thinks it's Jacob, but then he draws near and he smells the clothes. And he's like, he's wearing Esau's, this smells like Esau. And, and he touched his hairy yak-like hands and he's like, and it feels like Esau. And so the trickster tricks his father, right? He falls for the trick. So Isaac then eats and celebrates and then he passes the family's blessing on to Jacob. And the one who grabs, grabs it. Strange, isn't it? How do you take a blessing? Anybody wonder this? This is like a weird thing. In these times, the way God used these blessings, it was a gift. Someone gave him a gift. So imagine it like uh, someone brings you a dozen cookies. Nice gift. You take those cookies and you consume them all in one setting. And you have your own UFC cage fight going on in your stomach. And then that person who gave you the gift, they come back to you and they say, hey, you remember those, that gift I gave you of the dozen cookies? And you're like, uh, yeah, they were great. And they're like, can I have those back? Because I meant to give those to your brother. And you're like, dude, they're gone. You gave me the gift. The gift is now inside of me. I can't give it back. That's how a blessing worked. When the blessing was given... It was given, it was received, and it was sealed by God. It couldn't be like, oh, no, 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 I meant to give that to him. It was over. It was consumed. It was in him. So when Esau comes in a little later, of course, and he learns what's happened, and Isaac realizes what's happened, 
He can't undo what's been done. And Jacob and his mother, you know, they, of course, figure out this way to trick the system. And, and Esau couldn't do anything about it. And as you can imagine, Esau is furious. He vows to get revenge, right? He wants to kill Jacob. So Jacob does what, would, what any of us would do if your brother wants to kill you. He runs. He runs away. He goes a long ways off. His parents say, you know what, go find a wife. Just leave. Get out of here before your brother kills you. And so he does. He runs. Instead of fixing things with Esau, he runs away from home. Jack, Jacob travels into the desert, not really into it, but across it as fast as he could. And once again, just a little bit, there's a lot of literary symbolism in these books and in these stories. But Jacob doesn't enter into the desert as if he was going into a place like the Aramos or into the wilderness to reflect and to be restored, but he runs across it. He gets out of it as quickly as possible. How many know that a lot of us, we don't like to get alone. So we get out of the alone session as fast as possible, right? And this is what happens. He runs across it, and he travels to his uncle Laban's house, and he makes arrangements to marry his cousin named Rachel. No comment. <laughs> Things were different back then. <laughs> but Laban, he tricks. He pulls a trick on Jacob. So the, the trickster's about to get tricked. No, you know, silly tricks. Tricks are for kids, right? He cons him into working for 14 years for him to be able to marry his daughter Rachel. Can you imagine husbands in a room working for 14 years to marry your lovely bride? You know, all Charlie did to require of me before I married Christy was to help, help him move one time. I mean, if he would have made me work for 14 years, I mean, I don't know, I would have definitely done it, babe. <laughs> right on. Woohoo! you worth it. So Jacob works for 14 years so he can marry his favorite cousin. <laughs> Different. <laughs> by the way, <laughs> by the way, thank goodness Jesus came. Redeemed all this mess, right? During that time, Jacob is working up another scheme in order to take what he wants. He decides he will once again deceive his family to get what he wants. So Jacob, he begins in this season having a lot of children. He has 12 sons, a lot of daughters, and uh, this is a good thing then. This would be like amassing wealth. This, instead of having like a big house with a pool and a, lots of cars and a plane and a vacation home. Like, what you do to become wealthy is you just have a lot of kids, which sounds pretty easy. But that's what they did. And he's actually amassing a pretty wealthy and lucrative life, not only for him, but for Laban. And, uh, and he comes up with this plan, an agreement with Laban, to separate the flocks between them both. Because remember, the reason this is happening, God's blessing is on Jacob. So everything he does is blessed. And so he makes up this arrangement. He's working on a trick to grab what he wants. And he makes it so he, he will get the bigger and the better and the stronger flock out of the deal. And he's deceiving his family to get what he wants once again, right? And eventually Laban and his, and his sons find out what Jacob is doing. And, and they get angry and they vow to get revenge. So history repeats itself, just like what happened with Esau. And they're, they're coming after him. And what does he do? What do you do when your uncle and your cousins are coming after you to get revenge? You run. So he runs once again, and he runs back into the desert from which he came. 
And at this point, he has nowhere to go. Except he thinks, maybe I should go back home. I should go back home to my brother. But this is where Esau is. And of course, Esau, he thinks, wants to kill him. He's terrified. But Jacob decides to go and face his past. Now, he has to go back into that same desert that he went across. But this time, it's like he journeyed into it. And it's a very different story because it felt purposeful. So Jacob gathers his family, his livestock, his servants, and they head out. And they are heading towards Esau's home. And Jacob sends his servants and even his livestock ahead. Uh, or he sends, Actually, he sends a messenger first. He sends his messenger ahead to Esau's home. And the messenger comes back and said, okay, Esau's coming with 400 men. So this does not look good for Jacob. He's sure that Esau is going to kill him. So he sends, then he sends all of his servants, all of his livestock, all of the possessions ahead to meet Esau. He takes his family, his most prized relationships, and he sends them to a place where he thinks they're going to be safe. And then it says that Jacob was left alone, which is where we began the story. He's alone next to a river. He doesn't cross it. He hasn't stepped into the river, if you remember that message a few weeks ago. Night is about to come. He knows morning will only bring his brother and his 400 men. And he's, the thing that he's been running from for the last 20 years is about to hit him in the face. And we're back to where we started. Genesis 32, verse 24. I started reading this. I'm going to read it again. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that, he, so that his hip was wrenched, and he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go until you bless me. Jacob was in the middle of a spiritual struggle. I wonder how many of you have been there. Anybody? Jacob was finally at the end of his rope, at the end of himself. Again, I wonder if anyone's ever felt that. Jacob's entire life had been about grabbing and stealing for the purposes of himself. His name, Jacob, the one who grabs, had become his identity. It's funny how when we grow up, the things that are said to us over and over again, we actually believe them. You tell someone they're stupid long enough, guess what? They believe they're stupid. If someone hears that they're nothing or that they're a burden long enough, guess what they believe? that they're nothing and that they're a burden. Kids who are told negative things about themselves, they grow up to believe those negative things. I think we know this. A few years ago, I was leading some mission trips, and during those trips, we led an experience with students to talk about the things, the words that have been spoken over them. We talked about the positive things, but we also had them reflect on some of the, the not-so-good things that have been said to them. And we had students come up and they wrote, and we had paper all over the walls this one, these one, this one night, and we just asked them to write the things that had been spoken over them. And I'll never forget a few of the statements that I read. They won't surprise you, but it still breaks your heart. Here's just a few of them. You are nothing. You're stupid. I hate you. You're a loser. You can't do anything right. What's wrong with you? No one likes you. Get away from me. You're a mistake. Sometimes our identity gets placed on us. 
Sometimes our identity and who we think we are is less about what God says about us and more about what they say about us. It's our job, just so you know, church, it's our job and our responsibility not only to speak affirmation over all people, especially our children, but it's our job It's our job to speak the truths and the promises about who God is pulling them into. We we speak words that lead them into their future instead of limit their future. Can I just say for whoever needs to hear this, you are not the mean, ugly thing that someone told you that you are. I just I felt in my spirit that I needed to say this. I I know it doesn't hit everybody, but it hits it hits more than you think. You are, you are not stupid, you are not nothing, you are not ugly or mean or unsuccessful or a failure or worthless. God has created you with so much good and so much beauty and so much purpose and so much promise. I just want to know, does anyone agree with what I just said? Amen. Amen. There is a new day about to break for Jacob. The man by the way, is God, that he's wrestling. God's about to leave. And Jacob says this in verse 26. He says, I will not let you go unless you bless me. He'd already been blessed, right? He had stole a blessing. So what he was asking for right here was something he had never received. It wasn't the blessing that belonged to Esau. He was asking for a blessing that he was hungry for all along. It was his blessing. And the man asked him, the man asked him, well, what is your name? The man asks him his name. This is a direct question, an intentional question. What's your name? And without hesitation, without flinching, Jacob says, my name is Jacob, the one who grabs, the one who steals. I'm Jacob. And I wonder if maybe he thinks that's all he'll ever be. But then the man, God, said to him, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled, other versions say wrestled, other versions say fought with God and with men and have overcome. See, this is his blessing, that the older will serve the younger. He was never supposed to be the one known as the one who grabs. You understand that? That's what they called him. God had a plan for him. He was always to be known as the one who would struggle with God and overcome. Some people will call your struggle a problem. (laughs) God will use your struggle and your willingness to wrestle through your struggles He will call those problems your purpose. It's amazing that we can trace the nation of Israel back to a man who stopped in the middle of the loneliest, scariest moment of his life, went to the end of himself, wrestled and struggled with God, and out of that, he was remade and reborn into a new person that led to a new nation. Do you understand how significant that is? We live in a culture, though, because here's the thing. We live in a culture that would rather run than wrestle. 
Jacob ran twice. Jacob ran twice. And, and when he stood at that riverbank, he sends his family off. He finally quit running. And instead he waited. And then he wrestled. And then a new day broke. When Jacob gets his the hip knocked out of socket, for some reason he has a limp from then on out, right? This actually becomes Jacob's sacred wound. This is the mark of his struggle. This is the thing that just, oh, by the way, this happened. I wrestled with God and survived. I know that a lot of us have struggled. And I actually want to invite some of you not just to embrace the struggle, but to learn how to move from the struggle into the wrestle. Because a lot of us, we just want to hide our wounds. We don't want anybody to know about them. We don't want anybody to see our scars. We would rather let everyone think we're okay or that we've never struggled with anything. But here, here we see Jacob, right? Jacob, from this point on, he would have a limp that would stay with him. And it was literally, I mean, I've seen, there's been books written about it, leading with a limp, right? Like there's, there's this idea like every day, not just for him, but to the whole world, everybody saw, man, that man has wrestled with God and survived. I would say he wrestled with God and he was revived. I don't know about you, but I'm thankful that we not only have a God that fights for us, but we have a God that is willing to fight with us. <laughs> right? He's willing to enter the fray in the dysfunction of your family. He's willing to enter the fray and to meet us in the desert or willing to meet you in the darkest hours where you hear nothing but pain in your heart or you're angry or you want to shout at God or you want to cuss or whatever it is you want to do. God wants to say to you, I see you and I'm willing to wrestle through it with you because I have a revival on the other side of that wrestle. God says, I'd rather you wrestle me than run from me. So how does this story end? Well, after God renames him Israel, the sun comes up, a new day breaks, but his biggest fear is still ahead of him. Esau's coming with 400 men. Jacob, who is now Israel, crosses the river. He stepped into the river. And he joins his family and walks out in front of them with his new limp, and he prepares to meet his brother. He's expecting to more than likely die in this moment. But instead, the scriptures say that Esau, when he met him, ran to Jacob, embraced him, threw his arms around him, kissed his brother, welcomed him home. I mean, it blows your mind. The grace, right? I want you to hear something. Maybe, maybe God is waiting to bless you in the very thing you've been running from. So what's the thing you're frustrated with? What's the thing you want to quit on? What's the thing that's sucking the life out of you? What's the thing you're afraid of? What's the thing you've been running from, avoiding the thing that you don't want in your life? Maybe that's exactly where God's blessing will be. That's where his full picture of redemption will reside. But you can't avoid it. You have to wrestle through it and wrestle to it. I believe God wants to use this message today. It's a narrative. It's a story. And it's supposed to teach us truth. It's the reason we have the word of God. It's the reason we get to see the story of a man who wrestled. Because it's our story. It's your story. 
And here's what I know. Some of us go, man, it's a good word. Hope the person that needed to hear it got it. <laughs> I like how every person that I impersonate talks like that. <laughs> I get it. Some of you are like, I, I've wrestled. I'm good. I don't need to wrestle much more. I'm good with the Lord. I would just say this. Try this one on. What lies and labels are you believing about yourself that God wants to rename and rebrand about you? Even if you're like, I don't need to wrestle. I'm pretty good. I'm, I'm good. I, you know, the struggle is there, but not too bad. What lies and labels are you believing about yourself that God wants to rename and rebrand about you? You all have them. You all get up in the morning and you think, I'm not good enough, or I'm not this, or I'm not that, or maybe perhaps revival is in the wrestle. We deal with it. We cross the river. We find redemption. We find the new identity. The new self will rule over the old. Two nations wrestling inside of you. But the Lord says, mm -mm. the new rule over the old. But how do we find the new? We got to wrestle, then we got to cross the river, and we got to step into the new day that God has for us. I want to pray for us, and I want to invite us into a time of ministry, a time of response. I want to invite you to stand. Would you stand with me? close your eyes and maybe uh, we do this often but if you're comfortable just open your hands put them out in front of you the reason we do this and the reason I'm even asking you to do it today is I was just thinking Lord we just gotta we just gotta once again say to you we want to open our open our lives to you we want to open our hands to you we don't want to clench and hold on to things today we want to be, be able to say Lord you can take whatever you want to take out of our life Lord, if you want to place things into our lives. So these open hands, right, it's that picture of saying, God, it's all yours, but I'm also ready for whatever you have. I'm ready to carry what you want me to carry. I'm ready to release what you want me to release. Just start saying that to him. God, I want to release what you want me to release. I want to take on calling or the purpose or the passion that you want me to carry faithfully you start talking to him we got we got time we're going to respond to the lord today holy spirit would you come holy spirit would you move less of us father less of our flesh more of your spirit we pray that in this place we're all here for a purpose we're all here for reasons that we didn't even know about when we walked in but god you have something in store If today you're at a place where you know what, this, this, this invitation that God gives us to wrestle with him through the things that are hard, to ask the hard questions, to wrestle with our doubts, to wrestle with our anger, to wrestle with our pain, that, that he actually wants to be the recipient of all that, to be able to wrestle with it through you. If, if that's where you're at and you're just going, I, I needed to hear this. I need to be reminded. I need to be told. Maybe this is the first time you're really hearing it, that he's okay being the one to help me work through my stuff. 
that's, if that's you today, just lift your hand just before the Lord today. I'm, I mean, no one's really looking around. Just lift your hand if you're like, I need, I, need to, I need to learn how to wrestle. Yeah, hands all over the room. Holy Spirit, I just pray that today you provoke something fresh and new in this room. That there be a new work that begins. That there's a new day coming. That daybreak is about to come in the name of Jesus. Help us wrestle through doubts and anger. Help us wrestle through our challenges because, Lord, we are seeking revival. Our hope is in revival. We want your spirit to be poured out. Lord, we're hungry for more of you. But, Lord, we know that sometimes even in our hunger, we don't know how to get there. So, Father, help us. Help us. If today you need Jesus, meaning you've never given your life to him. You can just say a simple prayer. You're just like, you know what? At the end of all this, I just need to give my life to God. Well, just give it to him. Say, Jesus, I give you my life. Just pray that prayer. Just say, Jesus, I give you my life. Just say it if you want to give it to him. If you want to give him your life, if you want to surrender, if you want to trust in Jesus. The, Lord, the scriptures say that anyone who wants to come to the Father must go through Jesus. Jesus says, if you believe, if the word says, if you believe in your heart, that God raised Jesus from the dead, then you shall be saved. And so right now, just say, Jesus, I give you my life. Meet it with everything you got. Surrender yourself to him. Jesus, I give you my life. Lord, we just ask you to work right now. Move in us and through us. May we not be hesitant May we not just be going through the motions. This is not just a church service. This is a gathering of your believers that have hope. So, God, we give you this time. We give you this response. We want to honor you. We want to trust you. We want to be obedient to the things you're putting in us. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. If there's anything we can pray with you about, or if you have questions about God, we'd love to talk with you. Please visit our contact page at okccommunitychurch.com.